Deliverance from Depression. Welcome. It's another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard every day. To not just be satisfied with a little religion when we could give God our best. As this series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others, all influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today we begin a series, a five-part series, on deliverance from depression. As you think about things to keep you from uselessness and about trusting in the dark. Today we hear from Kathy Gilbert, a, uh, I think maybe self-described hippie friend of Elizabeth, as she talks about Elizabeth's latter years, the silent years, and about Elizabeth the Sledgehammer. Also coming later, some thoughts from Jim Howard, brother of Elizabeth, on how well he knew Jim Elliot, and about a special Christmas story related to Jim Elliot. First, though, it's part one of a five-part series on deliverance from depression, things to keep you from uselessness. Here's Gateway to Joy 1307. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend Elizabeth Elliot talking today about a very risky subject deliverance from depression. We have to tread very softly in this area because the word depression today is very often, perhaps more often than not, used to denote clinical depression. Let me say at the outset, of this I know nothing, and I will not presume to speak. But the definition of depression means dryness, darkness, distraction, despair, and desolation. Now, I think that I have had experience of all of those things perhaps not all at once, and maybe if you had them all at once, you would be diagnosed as clinically depressed. I don't know. So please don't ask me questions about that sort of thing. But I think we do all know what it means to feel spiritually dry. We're often in the dark as to what we should do next, and sometimes uh, when we have committed some sin, which particularly... Uh, devastates us and some other people, of course we experience darkness. Distraction doesn't seem like a very major problem, but it's certainly one that all of us experience. Despair is by far the worst of these terms. It means the utter abandonment of hope. I often joke by saying that I'm a hopeless case about this or that or the other thing, but I I don't think that I have experienced despair in the sense of an utter abandonment of hope. In Dante's great poem, Paradise Lost, he says that the, the motto over the door of hell is abandon hope, all ye who enter here. That's what despair means. There will be no hope 
in hell. Depression can mean just gloominess, and most of us know people who just seem to be gloomy all the time. They're not the sort that we want to ask counsel of when we're feeling gloomy ourselves. Sadness, inactivity, dejection. The pathological aspect, of course, belongs to the professionals, and it certainly is not my bailiwick. But let's just say that we've all felt gloomy and useless. Often we hear somebody say, I feel so useless. It seems like God isn't using me. I probably don't have the right gifts. Things like, oh, you know, speaking, singing, being great, whatever. A lot of resentment could lie behind a remark like that. A lot of muddy thinking, too. Peter gives us a list in his second epistle of gifts that will prevent our being either useless or barren. He starts with faith. We could have guessed that. But then he says we're supposed to add to that. There's no mention among the additions of speaking or singing or being a great whatever. He tells us to supplement faith with virtue. Old-fashioned right thinking and right acting is what he means by virtue, not merely sexual purity. And then to virtue, we are to add knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, fortitude. To fortitude, piety. To piety, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. The thing that jumped out of the page when I read this passage the other day was that we are told to try our hardest to supplement our faith with these things. Try your hardest. I get labeled sometimes as a legalist because I spend a lot of time talking about the reality of the Christian faith being proved through our obedience. And I quote what Jesus said, If you love me, do what I say. That is the test of love. So here's another passage where we are being told clearly in the inspired word of God that we are to try our hardest. It takes our human effort. It takes our will to cooperate with what God wants to do in us and through us. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not talking about gaining salvation by doing good things. Salvation is by grace and by grace alone. By grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But at the same time, the reality of that commitment and of the indwelling life of Christ is going to be obedience. That will be the proof of the reality of that commitment. So Peter says that we are to try our hardest to supplement our faith with all of these things. And when I saw that, it, I saw that it was up to me. What we can't do, God does for us. But what we can do, God does not do for us. The chapter starts out with a wonderful assurance of what God does. I'm speaking of Second Peter 1. 
It starts out with a wonderful assurance of what God does and has done. Things like bestowed, enabled, given. You can look up the objects of those verbs and be cheered. Peter clearly states that the supplements to faith are gifts, yet we are to try to add to them. We are also to possess and to foster them. That means it's our job to develop, stimulate, and promote these gifts. We are responsible. In fact, if we fail to do this, we are blamable. He tells us that we are short-sighted and blind. We've forgotten how we were cleansed from sin. This shook me up. I've always thought of gifts as solely gifts of grace, things we couldn't do a thing about except be faithful stewards of them. I find that I'm supposed to try my hardest to possess the ones that matter most, the ones that are not available to all Christians, such as speaking and singing and the like. We so often think of uh, ministry as public, as though you have to be able to be a writer or a speaker or a singer or an organizer of conferences or something like that, or a great Bible teacher. Those are not available to everybody. We are to try to possess the gifts that matter the most. And if God isn't, quote, using me, unquote, maybe I'm not usable. And if I'm not, it's my fault and not God's. Peter goes even further. He says in 2 Peter 1.10, Exert yourselves to clinch God's choice and calling of you. Exert yourselves. In other words, get up and do something. I can imagine that some of you have been thinking, I thought she was going to talk about deliverance from depression. Well, that's what I'm talking about because I have found that there's nothing like getting up and going out and doing something that God has told us to do. Just plain, old-fashioned, down-to-earth, simple obedience. It is an amazing form of therapy. Now, of course, it's more fun and probably uh, tickles our egos much more, much more to be counseled, to go to somebody, whether professional or a non-professional, and pour out our souls in order that we may be comforted and propped up and hovered over and surrounded with comfort and sympathy and all the rest of it. And that will probably make us feel good for a little while, but it's not going to be very long before we find ourselves down in the dumps again. One of the writers who has been one of my tutors in my life says this, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I never may know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. Somehow I am necessary for his purpose, as necessary in my place as an archangel in his. If indeed I fail, he can raise another, as he could make the stones children of Abraham. Yet I have a part in this great work. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for nothing. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, 
a preacher of truth in my own place, while not intending it, if I do but keep his commandments and serve him in my calling. One of the causes, I suppose, of depression is this deep sense of, I'm no good, I can't do what she can do, I'll never make it as he has in the corporate world, I'm useless, God never gave me any gifts, I was behind the door when the gifts were given out. Do these words contradict those? I hope you heard them. God has committed a work to me which he has not committed to anyone else. I have my mission. I may never know what it is in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. Somehow, I am necessary for his purpose. The beginning of our series on deliverance from depression. Things to keep you from uselessness was the topic. Coming up later, we're going to hear from Jim Howard, brother of Elizabeth. And right now, we get to hear from Kathy Gilbert, wife, mom, grandmom, and friend of Elizabeth. She talks about Elizabeth the sledgehammer and about Elizabeth's silent latter years. She called me her hippie friend, actually her first hippie friend. Elizabeth and I spent time together. She wanted to know how I came to know Jesus. So I shared my hippie Jesus people testimony with her. Her response afterward in a letter I have to read to you. I enjoyed very much getting to know you better. How different our backgrounds, how strong the bonds that unite us in Christ. I'm ever so grateful. She introduced me to Lilius Trotter, Amy Carmichael, Madame Guéon, Ellie Maxwell, and so many others. I just am honored and in awe of her gift of exhortation. Specifically to me, she said, you know you're a servant by your reaction to being treated like one. Those words continually come back to me because Elizabeth Elliot was known as the sledgehammer, and sometimes God used her to break apart those dark and hard places in my heart. And I have to say I'm uh, amazed that I had a a part, and maybe in a, a significant part, in the season of Elizabeth's life leading up to what I call her silent years, whether it was during her speaking, her phone calls, and her letters. This period of time lasted from 1991 to 2004 when I call it her silent years began when she no longer did any public speaking. Now, Elizabeth Elliot, she was my mentor. She befriended me. She discipled me. It was this happened during our conversations, our letters, our times together, her teaching, and her books. A friend of Elizabeth, Kathy Gilbert. Thank you, Kathy. Later on, we'll hear from Elizabeth's brother, Jim Howard, and uh, he'll talk about Jim Elliot. Uh, don't miss the Christmas story that he has for us coming later. Right now, part two in Deliverance from Depression. Trusting God in the dark. It's one thing to know clearly what's coming up. It's another thing to take a step when you don't know what's right in front of you. I do believe that God wants to deliver us from dryness and darkness and distraction and despair and desolation and abandonment of hope, gloominess, sadness, inactivity, dejection. How many of those things characterize your life? I was reading a wonderful passage yesterday 
have a wise writer who says that God has given us a work to do, and he has not committed it to anybody else. Therefore, I will trust him. Wherever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. My perplexity or sickness or sorrow may be necessary causes of some great end, which is quite beyond us. God does nothing in vain. He may prolong my life, or he may shorten it. He knows what he's about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirits sink, hide the future from me. Still, he knows what he is about. Sometimes we feel depressed simply because we've just been on a wonderful vacation or had something very happy happen to us, but now it's all over and is back to the salt mines, and life seems bleak and meaningless again. You're in what the British call a bad patch. Reaction. Flatness. Well, listen to this from my friend Evelyn Underhill. No, I've never met her, but Evelyn Underhill's writings have taught me much. Because you had a good time before Christmas and enjoyed devotion, you are now having a reaction and a flat time. But sticking to it in the flat times is of far more value both as service and as discipline than luxuriating in religious emotion. It's what strengthens your spiritual muscles. Even the best people, even the saints, have always had to bear it, sometimes for years. It's a natural condition in the spiritual life. I know it's perfectly horrid when it happens, and I do not mean to be unsympathetic. But you must get enough grip to go on trusting in the dark. All the prayer in the world will not get you into a state in which you will always have nice times. You must not get slack. You must make a rule of life and go on with it steadily. And then she says this. She's quoting somebody else. Gentle attempts gently to will whatever suffering God may kindly send us. The grand practice of at once meeting suffering with joy. God alone can help us to succeed in this. But what is Christianity if it be not something like this? That's why I've called this program Gateway to Joy, because I am absolutely convinced that every experience in life, if offered to Jesus, can be a gateway to joy. God alone can help us to succeed in this, the practice of meeting suffering with joy. But what is Christianity if it be not something like this? The Lord never said to us, Come unto me, all ye faultless. Nor did he say, Be sure you tear yourselves to pieces first. It's not a bad state, to be in, to feel worthless and useless, so long as we see that that's exactly what we are and we always will be without the grace of God. If any of you want to know what to pray for me, and I do appreciate so much 
your prayers, and many write to tell me that they are praying for me, and sometimes they want to know specifics. I would ask you to pray that I will never forget that I am a clay pot in order that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of me, or, to use a different metaphor, that I am only a branch. Jesus is the vine, and he says, without me, you can do nothing. So it's not a bad state to feel worthless and useless, so long as we see that that's exactly what we are and we always will be without the grace of God, that amazing grace. It is his will that I should cast my cares on him each day. He also tells me not to cast my confidence away. But oh, how foolishly I act when taken unawares. I cast away my confidence and carry all my cares. Would you like to hear that again? It is his will that I should cast my cares on him each day. He also tells me not to cast my confidence away. But oh, how foolishly I act when taken unawares. I cast away my confidence and carry all my cares. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the original of that verse could also be translated, cast all your anxiety on him because it matters to him about you. It matters to him about you. Is there any reason to be depressed? Hebrews 10:35. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Now, I had a letter from a discouraged child. She says, thank you for writing me back. Your reply brought me so much relief and peace. I shall be rereading Romans 7 tonight. Tonight, I did your suggestion. That is to concentrate on the opposite of the sin I was confronted with. My parents were going out for dinner with some friends of the church, and my parents had arranged a babysitter for us, which in itself ticked me off. But when Mother said I could not watch my favorite Elizabeth Taylor movie, I began to steam. But I remembered what you said, and I decided to have a good attitude and to read my two-year-old sister Sarah some books. It worked. I felt happy doing something for Sarah. And I forgot about that old movie. I know that's really not much of an accomplishment. I should have a happy, cheerful attitude whether I get my way or not, I know. But I am trying. I am so happy to hear that I do not have to worry about my future. You know, I could die tomorrow, and I would have been worrying for nothing all along. And I guess I really am expecting too much too soon. But when is the right time to expect God to show me these things? I hope with all my heart in his time qualifies here because I do not want to ever have to think about this again. It is too stressful. And this dear girl had written to ask me how she was going to know whom to marry and or what career that she was supposed to have. I've forgotten exactly what all her questions were. But they were questions that I simply told her, you don't need to know those now. What you need to do is to be obedient to God.
and here was a whole evening that she thought was just ruined because she wanted to be the babysitter and her mother had arranged for another one, and she couldn't even watch the movie that she wanted to watch. But what did she do? She chose to have a good attitude and to read to her two-year-old sister. It worked. I felt happy doing something for Sarah, and I forgot about that old movie. I've had a letter from... I've had several letters from children who have said to me that they're always sinning and they're always worried and they want to find out how to find peace. Deliverance from depression. That's not the vocabulary that the child uses, of course, but it's the sort of thing that gets us down. We didn't get our way. Nobody understood me. Somebody crossed my will. My husband didn't listen to my suggestion. He's the one that always makes up all the decisions. And so we get angry, and then we get depressed, and I do believe that depression is very often the fruit of bitterness and anger. The joy of the Lord is your strength. A gateway to joy is to offer up to Jesus every experience. If the experience happens to be a disappointment, such as this little girl had, offer it up. And watch the Lord transform that into something for the good of others. I know that God is in the work of transforming our sufferings. He can take away the bitterness and give us peace. He wants to make us instruments of his peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. This is what Christianity is about. May God deliver us from depression and give us joy in obedience. Gateway to Joy 1308, Trusting in the Dark. Part two of our five-part series on deliverance from depression. Well, we've come almost to the end of our time together. Hey, let's take a quick trip down memory lane with Jim Howard. How well did Jim know Jim? Jim Howard, that is, Elizabeth Elliot's brother. How well did he know Elizabeth's husband? He and my brother David were classmates in college. They were both on the wrestling team together. They were very close friends all through their years, in those years. And uh, so David invited Jim to come to our home in New Jersey. Jim's home was in Portland, Oregon, but he did come. He came at Christmas time, which would have been Christmas of 1947, I believe. I was seven years old at the time, so my recollections were from early childhood. And Jim seemed like a big brother in the family to me. He was big and strong like my brothers were. So I admired him as I admired them. On Christmas morning, I stepped on one of my Christmas gifts that I had just opened. It was a very small uh, horse and buggy made in England, made out of metal, and I was very pleased to get it at Christmas. And, and I stepped on it and bent something out of shape. And Jim said to me, while I was weeping over my loss, 
bring it here and we'll fix that for you. So he did fix my little horse and buggy. And, of course, my estimate of him went up at that point because I was cheered up. Uh, sometime later, I was in junior high school, and I had to make a banner for my class, and it needed to include a five-pointed star. Well, I didn't know how to do that geometrically, but Jim was visiting in our home, and he spread the job out on the dining room table and did it in no time flat and made it very geometrically correct. So, again, a happy memory. Thank you, Jim. That was Jim Howard, brother of Elizabeth Elliot. Well, we'll next time hear more of the Deliverance from Depression series, Meeting Suffering with Joy and Resorting to the Cross. But our time for today has come to an end. Thanks for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe along with you on your walk, wherever we found you today. And on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliot Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org. More talks and videos, Gateway to Joy programs, and other resources. elizabethelliot.org. Until next time, may God remind you each and every day that you're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms.